The Man War Podcast is sponsored by HotMovies.com. Try out some ethical, paid-for porn for free with none of those hidden fees or secret subscriptions when you sign up at HotMovies.com and use the promo code MANHOR. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Shout out to all the other hungover whores out there. Oh my gosh, my head hurts. <laughs> this is Billy Presida, and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Oi, anyone else wake up in Columbia, Missouri and just be like, oh, well, that was a night. Lingerie expert Cora Harrington. I cannot wait to share her with y'all in a little bit. And then we've also got, we're going to hear from Jesse Sage, who's an adult content creator, a phone sex operator, professional sexter. We're going to hear from her a little bit. I also want to give a shout out to some whoreheads who showed up at the Pittsburgh show. What up? Thank you for the uh, the good drinks, the good laughs, the good conversations. So a shout out to Charlie, to Amy, to Brian, and to the siblings. Okay. I know I sometimes forget to, uh, to tell y'all, but you know, you can email me with your comments, your questions, your titty pictures, your disgruntlements at manwhorepod at gmail.com. Love to hear from you, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. It's just something to start my day so I don't have to just stare at the ceiling and, and contemplate what I'm doing with my life. That's what a road trip is for. Okay, so uh, first person, join us on the show this week. We got Jessie Sage. She is uh, one of the co-hosts of the Peep Show podcast. She sexts. She does phone sex professionally, not just, you know, for her own entertainment. (laughs) Um, And we did a great, great, great bonus episode coming out tomorrow on Patreon. And she's uh, coming on right here just to, to tell you a little bit more about what we talked about. So let's go peep in on Jessie Sage. All right, I'm uh, here with Jesse Sage, a uh, phone sex operator, <laughs> adult content creator, we can say, writer, uh, academic, sex work advocate. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you put all the hats <laughs> on at the same time, but I hit your microphone. Yeah. But uh, thanks I'm for- good at balance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just uh, recorded a really awesome bonus episode, uh, re- really cool conversation, learning a lot more about phone sex and how that works and kind of the ins and outs of it um you know how did how did you get into phone sex again um a friend of mine suggested it i was in camming and wasn't really finding my footing there and she told me to uh try it out so i did and the first day i was like i can do this till i die yeah yeah it was amazing what was it about that that was so you that camming kind of didn't do um I like the one-on-one. So being able to have like a very in-depth, like one-on-one conversation with one person was really fulfilling for me in ways that camming wasn't. I don't know. I also think that when you get rid of the like visual component of, of smut, there's also like a way that you can tap into other parts of yourself that is really fulfilling. Yeah. Is there like an example of that? Um. Yeah, so I think that there's something really, like, exciting about describing exactly what you want um, in the words that you want. It's more, like, psychological than – I don't know. My experience of camming was very different. I mean, I have all, like, respect for 
cam models. But when my, when I cammed, I would have people say things like, stand up, turn around, show me your ass. I want to see your tits. And like, that was so like, <laughs> not that exciting to me, it's but it's so basic. Yeah. But also like, that's one person making a request, but another person be like, no, sit down, spread your legs, show us yeah. your twat. Like, <laughs> I can't do them both at the same time, guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> Make a decision and- <laughs> as a group. <laughs> right. That is exactly what it felt like. Show me your toes. No, stand up. No, sit down. No, turn around. And I was like, oh my God, this is so crazy. So, um, you know, being able to have a conversation with one person and talk to them about like what they really want and why they want it and um, what that means to them was just more interesting to me. Um, a lot of people have asked me like who want to get into whether it's camming or fun, mm-hmm. they, you know, they want to try to get sugar babying, whatever. They, yeah. A lot of people come to me and they're just like, I want to do something easier than my job. Uh, and I don't think they realize how hard a work that's crazy. It talk. all is. I mean, like I think I think the work yeah. itself is is a little bit more fun yeah, for a lot of true. people who yeah. do it. Not everybody, but a lot yeah. of people do it. Uh, but the the getting the client, all that stuff is it's not an easy gig. No, it's not an easy gig at all, and it's like constant. It's you never really stop. You if you're not doing the work, you have to be marketing the work, and mm-hmm. you have to be keeping up a social media profile and a presence, and make your you have to make yourself into like kind of a micro celebrity in order to have. Yeah, you know, in order in order to make it successfully, like in order to make it financially solvent. And I think a lot of people think, oh, well, I could do like phone sex or sexting or something like that, uh, or even like you know, camming with masks. But at the same time, it's like to market it, you have to put pictures of yourself, right? Like yeah. You, I mean, I think I remember talking, and, with... it, and it's a lot of it's a lot of risk. You yeah. close a lot of doors when you do that, and you open other ones. And the ones that you open, like for me personally, are ones that I wanted to go through. But you you put yourself out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess the other thing I was I was curious about is like, how does one? I mean, a lot of people are curious about how do you start doing phone sex or sexting um, for money. Um. So I started on Night Flirt and you have to really learn how to work this like archaic system that is Night Flirt. (laughs) So I think that the first thing is you that's a good place to go if you don't already have a following. So right now I work a lot on Sex Panther, but Sex Panther, you have to drive your own traffic, too. So I can do that now because I'm several years into this career path. You have a fan base. I have a fan base. But at the beginning, I didn't, you know, and when you just start off, you need to be on a place that has their own traffic. And so Night Flirt is a place that has their own traffic and you can be like found. So... You have to start there, I think, and you have to do it as often as you can Mm. and build up a client base of people who will be, like, faithful to you, even if you, you know, have to stop for a little bit and come back and they're excited to see you. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that takes time. Like, um, I don't think you can jump into it and do it full time. Right. Oh, yeah. You're you're (laughs) not going to jump into it and pay your rent that month. I would say then, are there things that you did in your marketing of it in the beginning that you look back now and be like, Oh, I could have done that better. I shouldn't have done that. Or, um, I think that like just the quality of stuff that I do now is better, but that's something that you have to learn. Mm. You know, my pictures are better. (laughs) My posing is better. My marketing is more coherent, but I feel like you actually, I kind of think that you need to do that work for a period of time in order to find your 
way. Like make the mistakes so you can just learn from them. Yeah, and also so you can figure out what your what your branding is. I mean, there's a lot in sex work. A lot of people are talking all the time about branding, but I don't think that you can really have a sense of like what your branding is until you start doing the job. You could think like abstractly. I think also like a lot of fetishes like come to you that you don't necessarily consider. So, I mean, one of the things that a lot of people talk about is like, well, you need to market the things that you do. Well, how do you know what you do until you start doing those things and seeing what fits really comfortably and what is like kind of outside of your, uh, what you want to do. Okay. I don't know if that makes any sense. A little bit. Yeah. I just, I think there's a lot of like things just people don't think about. Like I said, I, I mm-hmm. think people say I'm going to start, you know, I'll start doing phone sex, but they don't realize like you need pictures. Right. You, like right, you need right. to be mm-hmm. willing to show yeah. some of your body. Like, they, right. they, and they might have said, Oh, I'll do phone sex. So I don't have to like show my tits on the internet. It's like, I mean, you're going to have to show at least a lot of cleavage. You're going to have to right. show something. something. Yeah. Um, if you don't want to show your bits and parts, then you're going to probably have to show your face as yeah. some kind of character or something. Right. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not, like I said, it's not, yeah, it's not an easy right. thing to just jump into. Right. No, it's not. And I think you do need to, you do need to be a person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that one of the mistakes that people make is just having Twitter presences, for example, that are just auto-generated retweets of like I'm online, I'm not online. Right. Like Those are... nobody wants to follow that. It's mm. not interesting. <laughs> yeah, I I specifically don't even when people are like that person's hot and I go I'm like there's no content here. Right. No, so it's just advertising. You have to also have like content that's not advertising, yeah. I think. And you also do the sex thing on like Sex Panther, which yeah. <clears throat> like uh, I'm actually considering getting on, mm-hmm. um, which might upset my girlfriend because I don't sex her, but also it's like, <laughs> I don't know why. It just, the, the, my brain won't function. It, it, like to me, that would be like work and creativity stuff. And with her, it's like, you know, I like to be passionate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I feel natural. Um, right. But so, so I, I I totally hear that because as like a poly person, I can't do online dating because I'm an online sex worker. And anytime anyone's trying to talk to me, I'm like, but I could be getting paid for this. I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. But so, so like, <laughs> I lose interest in the conversation. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, where's your credit card? Uh, <laughs> um, it's like, I'm, I'm really uh, poly is in that as much as I love to receive money from many different yeah, credit exactly. cards. That's what <laughs> I'm polyfinancial. <laughs> exactly. It's like I used to be and now I can't I just can't. I just don't have energy for you. I like <laughs> need to give my energy to the people that have money. So so but like any any is there anything um obviously like sex thing versus phone sex is very different, but are the are there any strategies or tips that you think you would give someone for sex thing that you wouldn't give to a phone sex person? Um I think that sending a lot of pictures in um, sexting is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in that case, in the in the sexting arena, that like the visuals that go along with what you're talking about is important. Um, so, I mean, I guess not everybody needs that, but I think it's really helpful to show like how turned on you are by something or like little snippets of like what you're talking about. So that I think is really good. I think... It's important to be like emotive in text. I think texts are much more easy to like misconstrue, which is the same in like every type of relationship that you have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you have to learn how to make sure that like the emotion or the intention of what you're saying gets across either through like emojis or just being like really specific about what you mean, yeah, which is easier to do when you're talking to somebody. Yeah, yeah. 
what's your what is your brand what is like what will they what can they expect are you a mommy type are you a this are you yeah you know a humiliating person like what yeah what's your lane um i'm kind of a mommy person who does like more sensual dom and that dom stuff but um nice mommy sensual dom stuff and i nice also mommy sensual <laughs> be still my heart I'm very like talk heavy. I like to talk about people's ideas and their fantasies. And I like, um, I don't know, I'm also an academic, you know, so I attract a lot of people who are into the meta conversations about their desires or about their lives or about what they've read <laughs> right yeah if you've ever wanted to jerk off while talking about an academic article you read recently yeah. like you might be the great person I would be to talk so to good for that yeah <laughs> well jesse um uh folks at home um her bonus episode comes out tomorrow on patreon for all my five dollar and up members uh you get access to that as well as nearly 200 bonus episodes uh, and that's at patreon.com slash man podcast but jesse where can people find you listen to you uh sex to you yeah i am on twitter at sapiotextual uh that's textual with a t um i am jesse sage on night flirt and sex panther and OnlyFans. so and mini vids so all of those places go check her out everybody and uh, jesse why don't you uh, go ahead and say goodbye to everybody one more time okay bye mm. <laughs> Look, as you all could hear, my voice does not normally sound this bad. Uh, I don't know what it is. I think just a heavy night of drinking. I don't know why every year at AVN, I just have to fuck up my voice right before I get to Vegas. But, you know, that's just how I live my life, apparently. And now it's time for the fan whore appreciation moment. Okay. This is the part of the podcast where I like to give a quick shout out to some of the fan whores who are members of my community on Patreon. All right, I want to give a shout out right now to Race Medic in Canada. Um, Canada, can you hold a spot for me? Because depending on how November turns out, I might be taking a lot of long expired visa length vacations up north. Thanks for being a member. Thanks for supporting the show. Shout out to Adolfo, who is uh, apparently not the tech, the professor of medicine microbiology at Mount Sinai, as Googling you would suggest. But we're happy to have you all the same, dude. What's up? And uh, I want to give a big old thank you to, <laughs> I guess, someone calling themselves Ugg Rafa. Ugg. You rock, dude. Even if you are using a silly name on Patreon, hey, that's your right to do. It's whatever. I will read. I'm, I'm Ron Burgundy. I will read the name that is in that box. <laughs> and, uh, and you, too, can become a member of our fan whore community for as little as $2 per month. $2, are you kidding me? You can you can sleep easy at night knowing that Billy's got a roof over his head and Wi-Fi that works for $2? That's crazy. Head on over to patreon.com slash manwhorepodcast. Check out the great benefits of membership and join today. Again, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash manwhorepodcast. And now for Cora Harrington. All right. Cora Harrington. Um, Cora Harrington is a lingerie expert. She's a, an expert on intimate apparel. I've been following her for uh, quite a little bit, and I've been wanting to get her on the show for a while. And I'm so glad we got to finally make this work. I learned so much. Like, you know, I learned about the, the, the demand for a 28 band, whatever that means. You know, I, I learned uh, the, what a catsuit technically is and how that's different from a full body stocking 
Look, I don't care if you wear lingerie or not. I don't care if you're a guy, a gal, or anything in between. If you've been curious about lingerie, if you want to take some notes, if you want to impress someone who does wear lingerie, this is the episode to listen to. So let's go get intimate on apparel with Cora Harrington. Um, so before this, my husband and I lived in Orange County. And then New, Orange County, New York, or no, Cali? no, no, Cali. And before that, we lived in Seattle. Uh-huh. And then I grew up in Georgia. Wow. So you've been all kind of yeah. all over the place. All right. I guess. I mean, I guess part of me wants to think like, is there is there regional differences with lingerie or not? Well, there, <laughs> I mean, there actually are a few. It's interesting. Um, for example, in Orange County, which of course is very close to LA. Um, you see smaller bra sizes, which I thought was interesting. Like, that was the first time I saw 28 man sizes in stores um, because the population is a little bit smaller overall, at least in L.A., I guess. In mm. um, Seattle, you would see like a lot of warm and fleecy things. A lot of independent designers were popular in Seattle lingerie boutiques, um, small designers, which kind of vibes with that city, which is very into like local and indie and all that sort of thing. Um in Atlanta, you, I, I think like the sizes skew a little larger in terms of like cup sizes and band sizes in Atlanta, mm-hmm. which kind of vibes with like the South and like the people. Cause pe- like, there are also regional differences, I feel like, in how, um, people like just tend to be shaped or like, um, like trends maybe in like sizes and that sort of thing, which you don't really talk about. There's some um, potato heavier parts of the country. Right. Like there yeah. are, and, and there just like there are regional differences in taste. There are also kind of like regional differences in sizes are in the size people prefer to wear, which isn't something you can always pull apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'll see, and then also because Atlanta has um, a larger African-American population, you're also more likely to see like nudes for darker skin tones. Mm. Um, and then up here you'll see uh, like a lot of luxury type brands and in, in the boutiques up here, more expensive brands, I feel like in boutiques up here. Um, so I, I mean that, that's speaking very generally because there's also like expensive stuff in LA, um, like Jeanette bras. Um, I'm just kind of rambling now. <laughs> no, I asked, <laughs> I asked a question facetiously and there was an actual answer to it. And I love that. But like one of the most, one of the most famous <laughs> boutiques in America, if, if not the world, they're very popular is Jeanette bras, which is in LA, um, who is run by, uh, Jeanette, who was Rodriguez in aliens. Oh. which is very cool. Um, <laughs> but she specializes only in like decup and up bras and she carries like a, a really beautiful and wide range, like focused on that size range. Mm. Um, and you're also mo- part of why you're more likely to see kind of those smaller, you're more likely to see smaller bands and larger cup sizes in LA also because there's more of a, of like a breast augmentation, plastic surgery culture there. Right. So there's just like lots of little things where like depending on where you are in the country, people lean more towards one or another thing. And like I said, it's speaking very, very generally. Like I'm not saying everybody in the South is big boobed. Or like- right, but it does seem like the, the market will react to what yeah. that local market has, yes. which is interesting because like one of the calls for like including say like, you know, bigger sizes for things is like, yeah, but there's people nationwide who want the things, but it doesn't seem like the nation... I don't know. I when I see the way things are advertised, unless they're specifically making a push as that company, it still seems to be the 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 stereotypical kind of models. If it's like nationwide advertising, yeah. but you're saying if I went to Seattle, if I went to Georgia, like I'd see actually the different types of lingerie. Um, right, you, you would know, see offered. some differences there. Um, 
And it's very like there's a lot of stuff that's kind of taboo to talk about in terms of sizing and stuff, which is well. Very... This is the place to talk about it. <laughs> well, it's... I was canceled long ago. Let's go. <laughs> we can get into it. I mean, I, I don't want to. I, I honestly, I don't feel like dealing with a lot of backlash at the moment. But I will say that a lot of what people think and about in terms of what sales or what people want to buy, or even like the most popular sizes in terms of what sales, mm. um, do not vibe with what people want them to be. And that can be a very difficult conversation to have. As in like the larger stuff's not selling the way people maybe are calling for them to be offered. So like one example would be um, like the 28 bands thing I just mentioned. There was I a- do not know what 28 band oh, okay. is. Like look so at how bra- I'm dressed. I'm a- <laughs> I know as much about lingerie as by looking at me, you would think I would know about lingerie. Um, so the, the band size of a bra, like that's, that's, that's the band. That that's the number the part. That's the number. Okay. Um, <laughs> a lot of, for most um, people and most brands, those numbers are going to start in the 30s like 32 34 36 moving on into the 40s sometimes the 50s you don't see for example many 26 band bras i mean like that's a very petite person who has a rib cage that's about 26 inches around okay um but there was a huge push online years ago in various bra forums and bra fit forums and communities like on reddit that was like we need more 28 band bras there's it's such an underserved market it's a shame bra companies aren't making 28 bands so bra companies were like all right all right we see people are talking about it, being very vocal. We're going to make 28 bands. They did not sell. There are some brands that still have those same 28 bands they've been trying to get rid of for years. So just because they're... And the thing about social media and the internet is that people can sound... Um, I don't want to say like they're bigger than they are. Like the population. It sounds like there's there, there's. It sounds like there's a bigger um, push for something than maybe there is. Right. Like the the people who are are most passionate and most vocal are going to be the ones on social media. And I think it's very easy to forget, especially if you are on social media all the time, as we are, um, that most people are not, and that most people don't really care about what's on social media or what's happening. That's how I feel about like say movies and casting stuff where, you know, although like, you know, diversity in movies is important when people are shouting, we want this type of thing in this movie, I'll be like, cool. Then they make it. And then you didn't buy a ticket. Like if you're going to call for it, that's great and awesome. You also need to go pay the ticket so that they know to keep making it. Tangerine by every measurement uh, should have been a blockbuster, an indie blockbuster, Mm -hmm based on how much people were demanding films led by trans women. And then you had one that's led by two, Sean and iPhone. It should have been the most profitable movie ever made. And yet, like, it made a few thousand dollars. I, yeah, so, I didn't hear of it. Uh, exactly. It, it was an indie flick, but, like, it, it was all the things you want. There's two trans women of color leading a thing. They're both, like, they're also both sex workers. There's a whole it's a, it's a interesting movie. It's kind of a music video of a mm-hmm. movie, to be honest. But, like... It's exactly what was being called for on the internet, and then the internet did not show up in real life for it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if, if you want something, you have to also follow through. You can't just yeah. shout Th- for this it. This is what I tell my followers all the time mm-hmm. and people who read my site all the time. I'm like, if you are going to vocally demand the thing, that's great. Like, being able to interact with brands directly is great. Like, I'm not, I don't want to go, I don't think we should go back to the old days of like, you can't talk to a brand, you can't mm-hmm. communicate with them, they're just doing a thing. Because um, it's clearly caused change. Like brands yeah. have changed decisions based off of great. the, the you yes. Know. And well, that's so kind of just doing a brief segue here. Sure. Um, obviously, I can talk about this for a very long. I would time. love you so to. Like, so let me know. <laughs> that's why you're. you're just that, like... That's why Cora Harrington is here from the lingerie addict. <laughs> Say hello to people before you get on your big old rant. <laughs> um, what was I about to say? Uh, about call if you're gonna call for something. Online, oh, I and interacting that. with brands is yes. awesome. Okay, but so one thing because the internet has a very short memory. Mm-hmm. Um, 
people don't aren't actually aware of how much has changed since social media um, kind of came to the forefront and became a way to talk to brands. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I started my site, which was 12 years ago, this coming April. Congrats. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've been doing this a long time. It's very funny when people come up to me and they're like, oh, I just heard of you. You just started. And I'm like, no, no, no. I've been, <laughs> I've been around probably since you were a child. <laughs> um, so like when I started, a lot of brands would, would debut new, new, like new brands would debut and their size range was like 32 to 36 B to D. Mm-hmm. Like that was a normal size range when I started my site, you know, 32 to 36, A to D, 32 to 36, or like 32 to 38, A to D, just like very small, very narrow size ranges, which is still a lot of sizes numerically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can talk about that later. Like people think, um, people have a difficult time conceptualizing how many sizes go into a bra size range. Cause most, most people are used to thinking in, Zero, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, so that sort of thing. Mm. So you can have which I have no idea what the like. I know that those are size. Yeah, numbers, those are like dress sizes. But like, never will I understand what they look like I because they're, yeah, they're arbitrary. Because so. ours, like with the guys, I like I know what a thirty-six or a thirty-eight waist means, yeah. and I can kind of look at a guy and get an idea. Yeah, they're, they're Someone totally tells me she's size sizes. six. I was like, what does that mean? Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's like that's that's why people get really hung up on being a true size, whatever. And like it, do, it doesn't matter. There's no standardization. Why, is the is the reason they won't switch to like the similar with the what the guy stuff is because like you don't want to tell a woman that like she's no, thirty eight or around her. It. Um, it has more to do with there being more variability in women's bodies and their uh-huh. proportions and dimensions than in men's bodies. So for men, you can more accurately predict what their hip measurement is going to be based on their waist measurement because okay. men are shaped like tubes. <laughs> Whereas with women, um, it's very difficult to predict that relationship. Somebody could have a 30-inch waist and a 38-inch hip, a 40-inch hip, a 44-inch hip. Mm-hmm. Um, Same with weight, like 150 pounds on a woman. Like that looks so different on like you give me 10 women who weigh 150 pounds, they all could look very different. And then I've stopped even trying to think about what that is. Whereas if I look at a guy, I can kind of guess his weight. So yeah, with, yeah. W- with women, it's a lot more variable. You mm-hmm. you can't really say, well, if a woman has a 30-inch waist, this is going to be her hip. Whereas with a man, you're like, oh, he has a 36-inch waist. We can predict his hip is going to be kind of in this range. Mm-hmm. Um, and also with women, you can't be sure how the weight is distributed. And I'm speaking very generally, like men and women. It's people who have gone kind of like through like female puberty, essentially, which widens your hips right. and the fat deposit shift. Um I'm not sure of another way to express that other than men and women in terms of how um, clothing is categorized. Basically, it doesn't doesn't mean that like only women are wearing these clothes, but in right. terms of how they're, split. I think that's a it was a yeah. fair way to share. Yeah, it. like in terms yes. of how they're divided in stores, like that's the category. So that's right. that's what I'm referring to. Um, but you. But- we were talking about um, uh, uh, interacting with brands directly and causing oh, demand for yes. stuff. No, I, that's okay. I got yeah. another tangent. Okay. I, I'm here to bring it back in. All right. <laughs> so um, I think it's really great that we can talk to brands directly. I, I mean, before, like in the old industry, um, brands would send things to boutiques or to department stores. And your point of contact with the brand was through the like kind of the mediation of that department store mm-hmm. or of that boutique. So now you can talk to them directly. Um But as you said, the flip side of that is if you're going to demand the thing, you have to buy the thing. And that's something I tell my readers all the time. I'm like, I think it's great that you're asking for these things. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with, with being angry, with being upset, with demanding more. That's all great. But when it arrives, you have to buy it and you have to buy it at full price is the other thing I think people don't realize. Mm -hmm. Full price sales count much more than like sale, like sale price 
sales. Yeah. <laughs> if something is only bought when it's on sale, when it's 50% off, brands are going to be like, oh, well, we, we didn't really make money. This isn't a that. profitable item to make. Why am I going to waste right. my time? And then when you compare that to the things that do sell, like they're just going to be like, well, we should double down more on this. And that's one of the things that's hidden. Sorry, my microphone is drifting around. All that's right, one yeah. of the things that's hidden, I think, about fashion in general and, and it, therefore intimate apparel is that the what actually sells versus what people think sells is very opaque. And there's quite a large gap between what people on Instagram, for example, like a lot of influencers <laughs> will say sells or what they think sells versus when you actually look at a brand's numbers and you can see what moved for them. And that 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 is a very difficult conversation to have publicly. Most brands have absolutely no desire to engage in that conversation because nobody wants to get like hammered online. Um, and even like just kind of saying it very vaguely makes a lot of people upset because it's such, I think it's such a departure from what a lot of fashion media is saying from what a lot of people feel is right. Um, and there are also reasons for that, that I probably shouldn't get into. Um, but essentially, as we said, if you're going to ask a brand for a thing, whether that's more new tones, which is something that I've been a strong advocate for, mm -hmm. whether that's larger band sizes, which I also believe we need larger cup sizes, you have to follow through. Yeah. And you have to get it. Otherwise, it all the all the Instagram comments in the world do not matter. Like they when when they look at their balance sheets, they're not looking at Instagram comments. Mm -hmm. They're looking at dollars. Yeah, these Instagram. Yeah, we can't pay bills with mm -mm. likes yet. Right. Yet. And that's one the day, same though, is true, right? For one us, day, right? I'm going to trade those retweets in for something. Yeah, like, <laughs> and it's you can't. Nobody. I don't want to say nobody cares, but but it only <laughs> it, but it only matters so far. Yeah. If yeah. if at the end of the day it doesn't, we still live in a capitalist society. If it doesn't lead to a yeah. dollar, you're, it's not going to change a thing. Bus businesses are not. Businesses are here to make a profit, mm -hmm. which I mean, there are certainly critiques to be made about that. But that's also like the thing that's true. They're here. To, they're not. Businesses are not created to lose money. Right. So. Um, it, it, you know, CEOs, they're, they're actually bound by law to do what's best for the country, not what's best for like the environment or for the country mm -hmm. or for this group of people or whatever. Um, your whole business is, is very interesting to me because like I have not seen anyone who just focuses just on lingerie. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of voices in the space, a lot of people on Twitter <laughs> who talk about lingerie sometimes, yeah. but never like someone who's like, I'm a lingerie addict, this is what we do. Yeah. And you've been doing it for so long. Right. Uh, what made you so interested in lingerie? Um, it, it was kind of an accident. I, I, I tell people like I tripped and fell into my business. <laughs> I was just like hanging out. I had, a, I had a guy I was dating and I was like, oh, I want to buy some lingerie for him. Like it's not a terribly... Like empowering story. I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was searching for things on the internet and I couldn't find any information. Uh -huh. I couldn't find reviews. I couldn't find articles talking about was what was the best thing to buy. There was no one telling me which brands existed or there was there was nothing out there. I was searching. There was another blog. There were a few other blogs. One was called the Laundry Post. Mm. Um, they mostly published press releases. Um, there was another called um, Fru Fru Fashionista, which was um, the blog for the store Fair Fru Fru, which is no longer in business. Um, but they mostly published like lookbooks and editorials. 
um, there were other lingerie blogs. They were mostly kind of like image focused. Okay. Um, in terms of like just sharing pictures, which is a thing that happens with regarding lingerie. Um, and there was one other blog that was about information called Knickers Blog. Um, but it wasn't kind of very frequently updated. And they gave like good general information. Um, but it, it didn't really kind of fit with what I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. So there were, there's maybe five lingerie blogs at most at the time. Um, Not nearly enough. Right. And, and <laughs> there's probably still like five now, honestly. <laughs> it's, just, it's not a very popular niche. But um, I just started writing about things I wished I could buy. Yeah. Um, the very first blog post I ever wrote was about a pair of stockings from this drummer brand called Falke. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know. Um, you would think I know how to pronounce all these brands, and I don't. But it was a pair. There's a lot of French in your industry, so well, I mean, I, 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 I a lot of you. names that I I never actually hear aloud. I only read them. Um, and so like, I'm never quite, unless I actually interact with the brand. I, don't I mean, so many it. of us thought it was Kiev for so long right. until so we found like, out, we watched one, you know, house judiciary thing and we we're like, oh, it's Kiev. Yeah. It's been Kiev this whole time. Right. Or like, you know, Hermes or whatever. I'm pronouncing that right. Instead of Hermes. Um, <laughs> so, so I started just writing about things I wish that I could buy and things that I thought were cool. And I, the first name of my blog was actually Stockings Addict, where okay. I only wrote about hosiery. And then a little bit in, I was like, I don't just want to write about hosiery forever. So I started writing about other things. Um, and then I went through a couple of blog names that weren't good. Um, oh, oh, please, please share. Well, one of them, it was, so here's, here's how bad, like one of them was called like stockings and lingerie blog. Okay. Which is not a good name. Good SEO, but not fun. Right. right. <laughs> like I talked, I shared it with a friend and they were like, that's not a brand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I, I said, well, I was stockings addict, so I can just be like the lingerie addict. Yeah. Um, and it stuck. And I think it's worked really well. <laughs> so, but like, that was another thing where I wasn't thinking ahead to mm. 10 years from now, I'll have a thing. Um, it was just, it was like a blog spot blog back in the days of um, Google Reader. Oh, early blogs. That. Yeah. What a world. <laughs> And so I miss Google Reader so much. Yeah. What was, what was Google Reader for, for those? Oh, right, well, right. For, I mean, okay. there do exist listeners here who are like maybe 22. And right. You have I, to explain Google Reader and so 9-11 to them. It's like. <laughs> Google Reader was essentially like a an R, like an RSS feed, or, uh, your own kind of self-selected RSS feed mm-hmm. where you could choose to follow blogs and kind of get notified when they had new posts or scroll through their new like posts. Like a podcast app of sorts but for like blogs yeah You're and gonna, i really yeah. miss it because it was so much easier to stay on top of oh. what you wanted to read i gotta remember to type in lingerieaddict.com and go yeah and you could find the thing and it's not like today where it's just all algorithms telling you what you want to read i hate i'm a big fan of on so. twitter i'm always uh latest first yeah do not give me your home don't trick me thinking i like your home algorithm because you called it home right. you're making me think of mom but no no no, no. i want latest first okay that's what your app was for mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean i don't people they're like recommending people i don't follow i'm just like but like oh lately recently twitter was like we think you might like the rap category or something like rap and hip-hop and i was like what about my feed like, it's fine as a category. I mean, right. it's not a judgment about that. But why did you think Right. That? Like, what about my feed? Were you scanning my tweets and my <laughs> pictures? Right. Told you that that's why I'm here. Um, so early days of Google Reader, I just started writing about stuff I was buying. Then I started doing reviews. They were terrible reviews. They were not good at all. 
What makes <laughs> what makes a good lingerie review? Well, I think it's very difficult to write a good review if you're not informed about the product. And okay. I, j- I didn't know anything. And then I, I wanted to know more, but it takes a while to build a knowledge base. Mm-hmm. Um, it I, like it takes a while to become an expert in a field, which is why like I feel like I can call I can call myself an expert now. Um, one of my friends was like, definitely, like you wrote a book about the topic. You're, <laughs> you're an expert. <laughs> you're, you're an expert. Um, but it, it takes a while to build that knowledge base. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have it then. And so the stuff I wrote was just not good, yeah. which is fine. Um, but the thing is, there wasn't anyone else doing that. And so I started attracting just a very organic readership from people who we're also like me looking for product reviews, looking for interesting things to buy. And so it grew very small, not very small, but I, I want to say like very smallly. That's not the word. It grew slowly. Slowly. There yes. We go. Thank there you. Go. I was like, smallly? I, I no. Got you. Um, it grew slowly. You and fall, it, I'll catch it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> very slowly and organically just from people recommending it to their friends. Right. Um, Cause this was also before social media took off as a, like a branding and promotion tool. Yeah. Sometimes, Hey college, cause sometimes we just told people to go check <laughs> right? out. We didn't have to snap it to them or whatever you do. Um, and that was how it grew. It wasn't because I got like some feature in the Times or had like some big New York City connection or something to tell people. People just told their friends. Organic hustle. Um, and then it just kind of, I, I, it doesn't, it didn't become a thing overnight, but like it just kind of built momentum gradually and gradually and gradually mm-hmm. and gradually. And then it was a thing. What, was, what were you most shocked that you didn't know? About intimate apparel? Yeah. Because like Mm. talking about sex and dating for so long, I am am disgusted now by how much I didn't know Mm -hmm. in the first couple years of the show. Right. Like I really thought I knew stuff. I didn't know anything. Oh, yeah. Um, Like I'm like, I still, I was saying that word still then. Oh, boy. Uh. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I was still saying, talking about like sexy and whatever. Like I don't do that now. Um, One of the most interesting facts I've ever learned about intimate apparel is that all underwear used to be crotchless. Right. And so like today we think of crotchless underwear as like, ooh, sexy times, bedroom times. Um, but if you were um, a woman living, a person dressing as a woman in the 19th century, for example, or in the 18th century, um, and you were wearing all these skirts, all these petticoats, all these hoops and whatnot and panniers under your dress, those things were very heavy. Like right. it was a lot of layers. They were very heavy. You couldn't like pull them all up to go to the bathroom. And so your drawers, if you wore them, because a lot of people also didn't wear drawers like the 18th century, or at least women didn't, um, your drawers, if you were wearing them, were basically totally open in the center so that you didn't have to undress, which was a long and tedious process to use the bathroom. And it was actually the case that closed crotch knickers were seen um, as an indication of being a sex worker, because what was implied was you had to undress fully to do anything. Wow. So when did we switch to the closed crotch knickers? Also, when did we stop saying knickers? Well, I've I still ne- say knickers because... I've never been comfortable saying oh. knickers. Well, I say knickers because I don't necessarily like the word panties. Okay. Um, And it probably works better writing than saying it aloud. I just don't like the word panties. Sure. <laughs> what, what's your beef with the word panties? Huh? What's your beef with the word panties? I, I just... So, like, when I was a kid, my underwear was called panties. Oh, and so I think my yeah. association is still, like, with childhood. Sure. Um, and so I just use the British knickers. Okay. <laughs> um, because that's, it just, it's not a word that I, that I just particularly like. Um, so, so when did we cross over? It seems like you, in your gathering knowledge, wasn't just like about the products itself, but also the history of it. About in terms of what I do? Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was 
for example, you're you're bringing up like, oh, we used to not have them. Like, yeah. did you learn like fun history underwear topics? Yeah, like, like there's a lot of it. It's so the thing about fashion is that we kind of assume that people in the past had the same access to things as us today hmm. or the same attitudes about clothing as us. And so what's most interesting to me through the lens of intimate apparel is seeing how perceptions have changed over time. And I think the, like kind of the closed crotch, open crotch knickers is one of my favorite examples of that because it's exactly the opposite today. Mm. where like closed crotch knickers are considered more appropriate and just like so people are listening like those are just like the regular like, if there's yeah. a gusset in it like it's closed crotch right um but open crotch knickers are seen as like the sexy option and so i i like things like that because it shows how we define and think of clothing is not like some objective reality it's what society and culture tells us is appropriate um, and I feel like that is that is the most fascinating thing about fashion to me and about intimate apparel to me is what it says about the world we live in. Mm-hmm. Where where do you think uh, where intimate apparel is now? What do you think it says about the world we're in? Um, this particular moment in intimate apparel is talking is basically built around comfort, um, built around the idea of people wearing what they want to see themselves in. And not necessarily dressing with a, a view to other people looking at what they're wearing. Um, the the trends today are kind of an offshoot of the athleisure movement, which is also all about comfort. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing similar materials pop up in intimate apparel. We're seeing those softer silhouettes. We're seeing stretchier garments. Um, but we're also seeing the um, the drive to ever lower prices. Mm-hmm. appear in our underwear um there things are not as well made they're not as well finished we see um, like the materials aren't as good as we saw in previous decades and so like if somebody a hundred years from now were to look at the underwear we're wearing today and say compare it to the 80s one of the things they would notice is a marked decline in quality and what that would say about where we are right now is that people were less concerned with quality and more concerned with like volume or quantity. Cause there's also, there's so much more underwear floating out there, but it's not made as nicely. Huh. Um, and so like that sort of thing, like, and those aren't things people think about when you're buying your underwear, you're not thinking about, well, what does this say about the 21st century? <laughs> <laughs> when aliens come by, you know, what are they going to think about my panties or my, my knickers? Um, but there, there's a whole story there that, and I mean, and part of living in society and living in a culture is that you don't notice it, actually. Like, it's just kind of the water that you swim in. Yeah. Um, but there's there's a lot that's built into there. And so, I mean, I love the shopping guides and the reviews we do. And I think those are very important on a practical level. Um, but in terms of kind of what keeps me interested personally in the topic, um, it's that history, culture, society question. Do you have a, is there a particular culture that where you think like they had it right? Like that's, that's the best intimate apparel era. Um, probably this era is the best in terms of access and in terms of size ranges and product availability. So you're okay with the lesser, you think the lesser quality is fine because more people now have access to lingerie. I don't think lesser quality is fine. I think it's terrible because among other things, um, it doesn't teach people how to recognize quality. Um, and that creates its own problems because then people don't know why things are priced differently. My friend, we were just, I, my friend, we were just talking about, um, we, before you got here, how, you know, you might go into some sex shop and buy something that's like in some fucking bag mm-hmm. and put that on. And that's, that's very popular now. 
but she said she's like thought it was shit. She was like, I don't. Her her boyfriend at the time was like, oh, you look really hot. She was like, I I think you're wrong. <laughs> Uh, but then if you went and like bought like a $500, I don't know how thing, how much things cost. <laughs> yeah, here's a number. 500 sounds like an expensive <laughs> amount to spend on underwear, personally. Uh, as someone who just doesn't wear underwear, I'm just like 500 sounds excessive. But mm-hmm. yeah, a, a multiple $100, uh, you know, piece of lingerie, you know, that's, I don't know. It just seems like there's a, you know, that wide disparity. You should have different expectations. Mm-hmm. And for something that's $50 or $25 versus something that's $500. Um, and so one of the things that I try to do on my site is explain to people what those expectations should be, mm. like what, what you should expect as far as hems, as far as seams, as far as quality of lace, quality of silk, so that you can even if so that even if you can't buy this thing right now, you know what you're looking at. So I'm not really okay with how terrible the quality of our underwear is now for a lot of reasons. It contributes to waste. It means people actually don't understand the value of their clothing. Um, Cause when things are cheap, capitalist society, yeah. you think they're worthless and you think the work that went into them is worthless. Um, and people will say that they don't think that, but you could tell from the way they talk about like clothing, they think yeah. it's worthless. Um, they have their place. I feel like that would be like, okay, the, get this cheap stuff, but that's good yeah, for yeah. when, when you want to have a night where he's literally going to rip well, it off you. That's people, a good time. I mean, People all, also under capitalism, all our wages are depressed. Mm-hmm. So people afford what they can afford. I don't, I, I don't want to give like a judgment to that. Cause if you sure. only have so much of a budget, like you buy what you can get. And that's just reality. Everybody can't afford like a $75 bra. Um, so my issue is more that we don't know what quality looks like anymore. Um, it's also that everybody's wages are depressed, which is really sucky. Yeah. Um, and, Darn it. Where, where are we going with this? I keep just running off. On <laughs> um, oh, right. People's options, though, are more expansive than they've ever been before, mm-hmm. which is why I would recommend this particular era. There's never been more sizes. Mm-hmm. There's never been more styles. There's never been more options. There's never been easier access to those options. And so that's what I think is exciting about this era in underwear. There's all this newness and all this accessibility that didn't exist 15 years ago it also seems like lingerie is spoken about way more yes now. i've noticed that in the last few years which is exciting like for me. T- yeah because then yeah. more people will be like now i can go read this yes in my office and it shouldn't be as taboo well uh, and also it means that more people reach out to me for information about laundry mm-hmm. um because before people would be like what can you talk about and it's like well there's a lot actually yeah. to talk about for this topic um and i i wish that i've been called like a very small niche blogger which isn't actually how I think of myself. I don't think of it either. Because if everybody wears underwear, and mostly everybody does, like in the West, um, how can it be a small niche? Like, we don't call handbags a small niche. Mm-hmm. Or like jewelry a small niche. Um, why, like why is underwear considered to be a small niche? And I have thoughts about that that are related to gender. And please, <laughs> please, please feel free to share those thoughts. Uh, the, the thing that stuck out to me in that it being less taboo is that like my my girlfriend will ha- have her like other f- her lady friends over and they will just get into wear wear a bunch of different lingerie mm-hmm. and just change into all different lingerie lingerie and take sexy pics mm-hmm. with each other not to hook up not hook up with each other not because they need to send it to a thing they just like girls night we're just gonna drink some wine wear mm-hmm. lingerie and take pictures I think that's so cool guys we do not do that uh, I, I guarantee that, that, that there's no there's no guys there's night no out where like parties. we're just like yo let's like try on these you man should thongs. have underwear parties everybody <laughs> should have underwear parties i think that'd be a great idea um but yeah i mean that's another part of the like wearing it for yourself like aspect right. where people 
um, like women or femme identified people feel comfortable like getting together and doing that. Um, why lingerie is undervalued in society? Because it's primarily worn by women. Mm-hmm. And I think we undervalue things that are um, primarily done or worn by women because it's primarily women making the garments. We undervalue sewing. We see it as women's work. But it's also um, not a woman at that at the top of the chain not understanding you know what's going to go in to make it quality and be like, yeah, the broads will wear whatever we put out there because it's some dude at the top of the chain who just doesn't well, get what he's, what his company's making. So the funny thing about that is that a lot of people think Victoria's Secret's particular business model, which I imagine is kind of what you have in the back of your head with the man at the top. Um, and, and anything taking place before 2012, I just picked an arbitrary year. Okay. Uh, I just imagine if it's a business, I, you know, there's probably some dude at the top of it. That's not unfortunately always true not for as a good apparel, yeah. um, which is very funny. Cause I think like the kind of the story of laundry that people talk about is like men are in charge and that's why lingerie sucks. Cause it's men telling everybody what to wear. Oh, tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> well, because most of the people working in lingerie at all levels are women. Okay. Like from the corporate level, the CEO level, all the way to like the design, to the making, it's mostly women. Like I very rarely interact with a man in this space, um, which is not what most people expect is what makes sense mm. because like it's, that's just the industry. At least it makes sense to me. I don't know. Um, but people's idea or conceptualization of what lingerie is, there's like some male figure at the background, like talking down to the women and telling them what to make. And that's not actually how it is. I just think about that about all industries. Uh, as, oh, no, no, I think, but, no, that, I mean, I think that I probably makes sense in most industries. Um, but like when I see people talking about that in various like media publications, like it's so clear. It's so clear to me in a lot of ways that most of the people writing about lingerie actually have no idea what they're writing about. Mm. And so these myths wind up getting perpetuated because if you write for a prominent fashion magazine, people are going to think what you're saying is true. Mm. And so a lot of these myths get perpetuated. Um, the same happens with like other influencers on Instagram, for example. If you have like a hundred thousand followers, people are going to assume what you're saying is the truth. Right. Um, <laughs> and that, that's just how a lot of bad information gets spread. Um, and so when I'm saying something that totally contradicts that, people are like, well, who are you? You must be lying. Right. Gwen Paltrow said. In, right. And I'm <laughs> like, well, like, this is what I do. Like, I'm not, I'm not an influence. People will say I'm an influencer in this space, but what I am is an expert in this space mm-hmm. where, People do not come to me into my site like because they think I'm cute. They come to me in my site because I have things to say about the industry that I'm in. Yeah. But you also, your brand does not seem to be like, um, look at me in lingerie and mm-hmm. now read my words focused. Mm-hmm. You, It seems like you've, I, I, I'm assuming that might have been a conscious decision to not take yeah, that path. Right. I mean, there are photos of me on the internet, like obviously. Sure. Um, But they're not the point of what I do and the purpose of what I do. Right. And um, it's so funny. I just did my Instagram top nine and like eight out of the nine were like tweets where I've talked about lingerie. And I, it was so funny because I've said for a while that like my followers aren't really here to see me. Like it's like, they're like, okay, that's nice. That's nice. Like, right. We- but they're, they're not showing up to your Instagram. <laughs> they're, they're showing up to your brand, not to like quietly like jerk off to you. They're there to like genuinely learn and read your words about this topic. Right. And I, for me, I chose that for a few reasons. Um, I think among others, expertise has longevity. Mm-hmm. Um, it won't actually matter how much older I get or that I'm not necessarily aligned with, um, like popular aesthetics or ideas of beauty because that's not why people are coming to me. 
I remember this was a few years ago. I was just kind of thinking about what direction to go in um, and wondering if I was doing the right thing. And I thought about Anna Winter, who I think was once a model like way, way back. Um, but now like she's the head of Vogue and the head of so many other things. And no one's really talking about how she looks. And like that was the model that I thought I wanted to go in where you have a career that lasts far beyond um like your 20s or 30s or whenever people tend to think that like you you fit into this ideal age range for modeling or what have you. I don't know if I'm expressing that quite right. What you're but. saying, uh, you know, before all the, the body na- starts doing what bodies naturally do as we age. Well, and yeah, and, and that's when like that's when like women are in some ways like made invisible which is something that's come up a lot in conversations recently like when women reach a certain age they essentially become invisible to society Mm -hmm. Um, because they no longer offer the sexuality that society wanted them for right they're they can no longer or they are no longer kind of seen as like maybe sexual objects like and i say susan sarandon don't worry i still see you as a sexual object i mean like (laughs) like the thing that i think we also should talk about more as far as that goes is that like you can be a sexual person and be a sexual being like forever. Yeah. And we know that. Like, But just kind of knowing how women like models, no matter what, like no matter, like I think about like the famous sports illustrated models, for example, when I was a child or the famous Victoria's Secret models when I was a child looking at Victoria's Secret's catalogs. Um, and most people don't talk about them anymore. Mm-hmm. They're not really doing, most of them aren't doing modeling work anymore. Um, and so apart from just not having the right build or what have you to be a model. Um, if I wanted to think about, well, what can I do five and 10 and 15 years from now, potentially it's going to be building my expertise. And I think that has been the right decision to go into. Do you find yourself sometimes uh, when you do stuff, there are pictures of you, do you kind of find yourself going like, ah, I don't know if this one's a little too sexual or a little too. No, I'm very deliberate about which photos I share. Yeah. And if I think I'm not going to be comfortable having my image on the internet like that, I don't share it. Yeah. So you, okay. So you'll you'll align with the foes you want to put out there, like with yeah. And and I'm also very good about like who I work with, mm-hmm. um, and how I pose. So I I'm very the the way I look in photos is how I want to look in photos. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 It is interesting. So talking about lingerie, you know, lingerie is kind of inherently sexual. Mm-hmm. Whether it's for yourself or someone else, I think. I don't think it's inherently no? sexual because most of what people buy, like, like the bread and butter of the industry is not sexy stuff. The bread and butter of the industry is like beige and black and white t-shirt bras. Okay. I, I guess I meant more the, uh, when I think that, when I say lingerie, I think more something that's, I guess, a purposeful, occasional type of thing. Well, not not your bread and butter underwear. Right. But I also think but, that's one of the things I, I want to unpack because people hear lingerie and they think, oh, it's just sexy stuff, which I think also contributes to the delegitimization of the industry because okay. people think it's not as applicable to their lives. But lingerie includes all the things. It includes pajamas. It includes robes. It includes bras. It includes, you know, your brief style underwear. Like, it, it's all the things. It's so, so for you, lingerie and underwear are synonymous. Well, for the industry, like, that's what they are because otherwise you're getting into, like, arbitrary ideas of what is sexy and that's going to vary for everybody that's yeah that's fair that's fair well because i guess i led to what i was going to ask was about um talking about lingerie even so people a lot of time a lot of people still view lingerie then as sexual even Mm -hmm. if you if you don't think so or the industry doesn't think so um but do you and i so i talk about sex explicitly Mm -hmm. on the internet and yours can be interpreted as sexual even if you're not talking about sex at all when you're talking about like these hanes underwear uh whatever I think anything can be sexual. Like the same could be said of like red lipstick, for example. Mm -hmm. Like, is it an inherently sexual thing? 
I don't find it to be as inherently sexual because I think of it as having other uses outside of like well, there you go. sex. Fair. I guess, well, again, like when I think lingerie, I think the, I guess the more stereotypical mm-hmm. look of a lingerie, which seems something you want people to disillusion from. I guess mm-hmm. I'm curious if you find people on the internet who interact with you, your brand, um, whether they're assholes or people who just don't get it, like who kind of almost impose sexuality upon your work. It's um, I, I like, mean, I imagine some people do, yeah. but I'm also... I think if like you DMs, look at my comments, stuff like that, um, I've gotten some of those, not as much recently. I think it's very clear if you follow me for any length of time that if you are just there to be titillated, you're not <laughs> going to really get the thing you want. Okay. Um, but I, I mean, I, my, my approach to lingerie is that in the same way, we don't think of high heel shoes mm-hmm. as purely sexual objects. Like, can they be sexual objects? Like, clearly, yes. Yeah. But are they always? Like, would you think that any person wearing high heel shoes is wearing them to be sexy? Probably not. Um, the same is true for makeup. Like, can you wear makeup in a sexy and seductive way or in a way that makes you feel sexy? Yes. Huh. Is every instance where someone is wearing makeup meant to be sexy? Probably not. <laughs> um, and so I think intimate apparel is the same and i i try to push people towards thinking intimate apparel is the same mm. um not to desexualize it because people can find whatever they want to be sexy um but to show people that there is a lot more to this world than sex and sexuality um and that there is a lot more to consider and to relate it to than sex mm-hmm. another thing that apparently exists out there is men's lingerie right uh, something I'm interested in. I found a brand in like the news cycle years ago called mm-hmm. Menagerie. Yes. I don't know if you've heard that. Uh, yeah, I, I have. Roman? I actually have a pair of their boxer shorts. Oh, so that's yeah. what I had. It was the, it, they, it was all, it was floral, like the lace floral lace print, yeah, right? Yeah. They're so cool. I, I had those, but I had the high waisted one mm-hmm. and it was perfect. And now I used to think lingerie was silly. And when I say lingerie right now, I'm talking about the stuff that's definitely more supposed stereotypically sexual so for a moment i'm gonna just separate from the what you've exposed me to um when i always thought they were silly they got in the way of the goal it was like i don't really care like i'd rather have you naked than in this thing but then i put on i i got my pair it's the best like 89 dollars i spent Mm -hmm. i put them on i rolled it up and i got the lace to be like all flattened down everything Mm -hmm. i was like I put, I ran my, I remember running my hands down my thighs and be like, I feel hot. Mm-hmm. Like, this is dope. Why don't we all do this? Why aren't we all wearing this? Cause for me, I was buying it for sex party purposes. Mm-hmm. So I had like an easy item of clothing I could wear. And then mm-hmm. it looks like I've put in effort, even though all I did was put one thing on. Mm-hmm. And I thought they're great. I've lost them. I lost them at a party. Oh, you should check. Um, so the this guy is, who runs the Instagram sometimes he has samples for sale. I don't. I don't know if he's still in for production. Menagerie. Yeah. So well, what happened? So I hit him up. I said, like, "Hey, left him at a play party. You know, happens to all of us, right? We always mm-hmm. you lose underwear here and there." And I was like, oh, "Do you have these again?" He's like, "Ah, I don't have them. He didn't have them in my size on the site. Everything else on the site in my size." I would not wear with the body that I'm rocking right now. I just don't feel comfortable doing mm-hmm. very little or it was a full body stocking. Mm-hmm. I need to go look. I need to go look there again. Yeah. Well, I, cause I think he just stopped producing stuff cause I don't know if he wasn't selling enough or what, but he's like, I just don't have, if I don't have anything else on in that size, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, he's like, I'll, I'll try to see if I have any samples left, yeah. but like, I don't, I'm like, what is out there for men in lingerie? Because women loved seeing me in that. Mm-hmm. I think in part, cause they were not used to seeing men in real, like, like lace Mm -hmm. they're used to seeing dudes if they're going to be sexy and like some sort of g-string thing or something Mm -hmm. very teeny weeny and to see me wearing something high-waisted something lace floral Mm -hmm. they were like oh that's hot Mm -hmm. so like where could guys find more of that oh gosh there's one brand that's like on the tip of my tongue that i cannot remember 
which makes me really upset. Um, but they do lingerie for men. That's like the lacy, like set any stuff. Mm. Um, is that oh, like a market oh that's been growing? Like, I, I don't know how much you've written or not about, um, uh, I've written lingerie. about menagerie. Okay. Um, I was like one of the first to write about them actually. And then everybody else started writing about them, which is, it's always interesting when that happens. <laughs> um, and I've actually tried them personally. Um, cause I love the idea of lace boxer shorts. Yeah. Um, they were a little, I think I got the small in men's and they were a little, a little bit big. tight on my thighs, okay, which right. was unfortunate. Um, but I, I would definitely buy another pair cause I thought they were cool. Sure. Um, there are not very many lingerie companies for men. There are some, like there's another one that's like dress X or cross X or something like that. Um, I don't spend a lot of time in that particular space. Sure. Um, most of what is made for men is very fetish oriented. Um, and very like sex and sexuality oriented, which mm. is also a space I don't spend a lot of time in. Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's a growing category. Um, but it is a category that exists and is often more geared towards kind of the fetish side of the market. Why do you want to stay away from the fetish stuff? Well, I guess for men or for any, for any. So people, I will, yeah. I'll talk about, um, fetish lingerie, like creepy. has often seen as like fetish lingerie, even though I don't necessarily think about it like that. We talked about body harnesses recently. Um, for me, it's a preference to not talk about like sex on my site. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are lots of places to get content about like what's sexy. Mm -hmm. And that's just not really what I want to offer. So what, what, what do you want to focus on when you're writing, whether it's about some sort of, I don't even know the names for this. This is how mm -hmm. stupid I am on these things. Yeah, I'm just like, I can, I was like, I, I'd have to like point the pictures of my girlfriend, different types of lingerie. But like, I don't know whether it's the thing where you're, I don't know, you're, it's, Oh God, this is, it's not like a suspender, but like it connects to a thing. Like a harness, like a body harness? Sure, maybe. It's not like a harness cross. It's like uh, you might have like some fabric on a thigh, but then it connects to like a, a, a waist thing. Yeah. Whether you're writing about something that's very showy like that, mm -hmm. or if it's just talking about like some plain pair of mm -hmm. underwear that are just happen to be very comfortable or pajamas, mm -hmm. what is it that you want to focus on so i approach them all the same mm -hmm. um from a quality perspective from the perspective of offering options to my readers um and from the perspective of they get to choose the way they interpret that item and the way they want to wear that item and the context they want to wear it in um in general i don't see my role as telling people how to wear the things they buy mm. um just i want people to feel like they can try whatever they want and it's not really on me to say if you have this body type, you should wear this. Or if you're size, this size, you should wear this. Or you can only wear this in certain ways. I don't see that as my role. Mm. My role is to make sure people know that there are options out there for them, whatever those options might be. So my, obviously I'm aware that like sex is a part of laundry and people <laughs> wear it to be sexy. But in terms of, I think of what I offer to my audience and what I offer to people who are interested in lingerie, I don't feel like that's the best use of of my skills or of my platform mm -hmm. did you feel like people were trying to tell you how to interact with lingerie when you were starting to try that experiment with it buy stuff yeah I, I, there was a lot of focus i think on being sexy and like i am not very kind of public with like my sex life right. just deliberately and i found that even talking about that a little bit would lead people to imposing or assuming or thinking you were going to go further which i also think is just kind of part of internet culture now where people like people talk you see like on twitter people just yeah. talk a lot about their sex life which is fine um but that's not what i do 
Um, and I've also found that I get a lot of readers from all over and I, readers are at different levels of comfort with those topics. Mm. Um, some people totally fine with it. And some people they're maybe they're interested in something, but they don't know how to articulate their interest or if they see like an explicit reference to sex, they might like get afraid and like run away. And so, as I said, if my job is to make things accessible and make people feel comfortable, um, for me, part of what that looks like is just kind of presenting things factually right. and saying, here is this thing, here is how it's made, here's the quality you can expect, here's where you can buy it, and doing that for everything that we present. Does that make sense? A little bit, okay. yeah. You, you said you kind of fell into doing this in the first place because you you know, were out buying lingerie right. for yes. someone. I mean, what, what was the purpose at the time to no, be No, no, my sexy? perspective has like, like developed definitely yeah. over time. So like, no, like in the beginning, like a lot of people, I thought of it mo- mostly in like sexual terms and fetish terms. Like I started off with a lot of fully fashion stockings, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really into corsetry. I need to go explain what fully fashion stockings are. Don't. Yeah, corsetry, I know. Okay. I've had people on here do corset. Like, I, had a, I saw your face. You were like, I ah. lo- <laughs> Thank you for seeing me. Uh, uh, like I had Kelly. I don't know if you're familiar with Kelly Lee Decay. Yeah, I love her. I had her on years ago on the yeah. show. Uh, so like corsetry got down. What's yes. the stocking? Right. Help me. So is that the thing where it's like you're in like from ankle to neck? No, that's like a cat suit. Oh, totally different. Cat suit. Okay. Like a cat terms. suit or a body suit. Um, <laughs> so fully fashioned stockings are essentially the way stockings were made in like the 50s. Okay. Um, stockings are knit items. Um, so basically they're knit flat. From 100% nylon, which does not stretch. Okay. Um, it has no elastic in it. So they're knit flat. And then they're actually sewn up the back. So the back seam in a fully fashioned stocking is a functional back seam that actually holds it together. Um, and it's sewn in the shape of how the do, leg. How high does this go up? Uh, well, I can go. I prefer to wear my stockings all the way up the leg, like to my, like the very like top of my thigh. But oh, so when vary. you say back, you mean the back of the leg? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The back seam and the back how, of the leg. This is how clueless I am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, they <laughs> have reinforcement, usually mm. at the toe and the heel, um, because like they're 100% nylon. Right. Um, and then they have like the welt, which is doubled over nylon. And then they have, they are known by what's called a finishing loop, which is kind of their trademark, which is a circle in the back of the leg at the, trying to explain like at the very top of the back seam where it ends okay so you have so the stockings are knit flat like imagine like a stocking that's been cut down the middle and it's knit almost like a sheet right i believe you okay (laughs) Um, and then at the end of the process somebody like you picture a needle like pulling both edges of the stocking together and knitting it up the back like in, in a back seam right yeah except this is a back seam that is actually like a seam that is holding two sides of a thing together as opposed to just being decoration. Okay. Which most back seams are just, like, they're just there because <laughs> right. they're cute. Um, but, so, you, but you were saying you, you were originally going there like most yeah, people yeah. for sexual, like, you know, to yeah. be sexy, sexual. Yeah. And, then- and then as I became more immersed in the field and as I learned more about it, learned more about different types of items, learned more about what was actually out there and the complexity of this industry, my interest shifted away from that. And then also as I um, just, I think, became in some ways more private, Mm. Um, and also as I got serious with my now partner and realizing there are a lot of things I actually don't want people to have access to. Um, and one way to limit that access is to be very careful with what I present and with what I talk about. And also, and this is, I mean, it's not the best thing, but it's kind of the world we live in to be taken seriously. I Mm. think in the fashion industry does require some desexualization of the topic. And so I also realized pretty early on, once I started shifting more into expertise and once my blog became like less of a personal blog and more of 
of a blog about the topic in general, that part of it becoming larger as a platform, mm. part of it becoming of making the topic more accepted, unfortunately, like in America, mm -hmm. um, was going to be stripping a lot of the sexuality out of it. Sure. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of how you were presenting your work, yeah. I guess, and without going into your sex life, just mm -hmm. what is your relationship with lingerie yourself? Like, um, do you still sometimes view it as sexual? Or are you the person who just, I'm just going to, I'm home alone tonight. I'm going to put some stuff on and put on some good music. I am music. the second like, person. Yeah. <laughs> and when, even with my friends who are often like, probably if you're friends with me, you're also in the laundry. Um, <laughs> like, we'll wear, we'll have like real parties or like pajama parties where it's just like we bring all our favorite things and we like trade them around and like wear <laughs> each other's stuff because like, oh, I have like this velvet robe. And like, that's not made anymore. And they'll be like, oh, I want to try that. Or somebody has like silk pajamas that like I can't afford. <laughs> and, so, and so I'll try uh, that. We all know why we invited Alice. She <laughs> so, got the silk pajamas. Um, and then, I mean, there are also things that obviously that I wear that make me feel like attractive or sexy. Mm. Um, but in terms of kind of what I want to present to the general public, because now there are lots and lots of people like reading what I have to say and reading right. what my site, reading my site. Um, I tend to be very deliberate kind of, I think with what I share and what I present, um, in terms of like my, that perspective on laundry. I don't know if that makes sense. No, no, that, that, okay. that makes sense to me. I'm curious, you know, someone who is curious about entering lingerie and I'm sure you have a specific blog post about this. So like, obviously everyone should be going checking out your site at the end. Um, but someone new who's like maybe intimidated by even checking out this industry, maybe a woman or like a femme present person who's like, I really want to get in lingerie no idea what the fuck to do mm -hmm. like what would you say what would you tell them like the first step like when someone says i want to get into bsm i'll tell them you go to a munch start with that mm -hmm. and maybe it's some light spanking what would be that like equivalent in lingerie what's like an mm -hmm. entry level thing? i feel like loungewear is a great way to enter this space um robes specifically i just had a drink of water so i'm going to pull away from the mic for a second <laughs> it's okay um, <laughs> because they are size flexible mm -hmm. Um, there are lots of varieties. There are sheer robes. If you're looking for something that's really seductive and pretty, there are velvet robes. If you want something that's like more focused on like warmth or luxury, there are fleece robes, um, which I need to get another one of because it's like freezing rain outside right. right now. Um, and they're sold in a lot of places. So if you're not comfortable ordering from one site, you can find them on another. Um, they're not the sort of thing where like maybe you're in a place or in a position where you can't share your interest. For example, maybe like you're transitioning or um, you're a cross-dresser or something like that. And you might be afraid of someone discovering your interest. Um, they're the sort of thing that's just kind of like very easy. Someone to going receive. through your closet's not going to be like, I, th I think James is a cross-dresser. No one's going to find that in your, in your closet. Cause it's like, oh, so James got a cool robe. Um, no idea what he does in that robe, but good for him. Um, so I feel like robes are a really great intro, um, are something like a caftan or pajama set, but I feel like robes because there's such a variety, such a, a versatility, such a size range and a discretion. It seems range. like a discretion as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Like if you have, I don't know, like a black satin robe or like a black velvet robe, I feel like that's going to just be the sort of thing. If you are worried yeah. that people are just going to kind of skim over, um, so, yeah, I think robes are a great way and also a way that feels just frivolous enough because in America, a lot of people 
don't like the idea of wearing something impractical and wearing something. And I'm sure like in your world, it's very different. I mean, also look at me like yeah. I am all practical. Right. Like that's, that's, the, that's a very American thing. Like mm. in France and Switzerland, other places, like there's a different um, culture around intimate apparel. But in America, it's very practical oriented, which is why like t-shirt bras are the most popular item here because it's very American. What's a t-shirt bra? It's a contour cut bra. Um, like it sounds like the turducken dome. of intimate wear. It's a, it's a foam dome, basically. Um, and that is the shape that Americans are most comfortable with. And it's a shape that's most popular here. Okay. Um, so what was I saying? Oh, uh, right. No. <laughs> you, you answered it. <laughs> you said, you said start, start with some loungewear, something kind of comfy. Yeah. And, 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 and something and that is going to feel like not that it's not too frivolous or too impractical. It's also not tight if you're someone who's like, like, mm-hmm. like me. I mean, once I got the menagerie, it was great. But once then I was really nervous about wearing out. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm about to be wearing this on insanely tight, basically mm-hmm. skin tight in public. And mm-hmm. like, I am not the most bodily confident human mm-hmm. in the world. And, and Which so is I, true for a lot of people. Right, exactly. Yeah. So something that's very loose in a way mm-hmm. that can still have a sensual feel if you want it or just a yeah. relaxed feel. That, okay. Exactly. You can wear it at home. You can wear it out. I mean, I love just wearing my robes, just like chilling on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about robe that I feel like can make like there's a sense of power you can like draw from having a robe. I don't know, maybe it's just like from my dad having like really heavy bathrobes growing up. Like, right. uh, but like, so there's something about like a robe is like powerful. You think Hugh Hefner, like whatever your thoughts on Hugh I th- are. It just feels but, like very elegant, like yeah. naturally elegant. Eff- I love effortless elegance where you put on a thing and you don't have to do anything else. Yeah, you don't need to call but, a friend to like you know draw it up yeah, in the back. Like you put on the robe <laughs> and you're done. <laughs> like and I, I also like that. So that would be, I think, my my suggestion for people that are new. Okay, and and something obviously that's like big in the whether it's underwear, fashion, mm-hmm. intimate apparel is you know is is the diversity of what's being offered and sizes and something we talked about yeah. in the beginning about you know demand and buying things. Mm-hmm. You know the, this from my point of view as dumb man person is it seems like we're on an a upward trajectory of improving yes um what still needs to be improved uh, is it the actual things being offered is it the marketing of said yeah. things what what needs to be worked on still well we have definitely improved from where we started um like that is there's no question there that the industry is much better and much more accessible than it was a decade ago in, in every way um in terms of places we can improve because i don't think diversity is like is a destination i don't think inclusivity is a destination it's mm-hmm. a thing you are always like approaching and trying to get better at um, more sizes, absolutely. Um, it's very, it gets very difficult to find nice lingerie in those high 40 bands, like say a 48 or in the 50s. Um, and there are people who wear those band sizes. Um, and there, there are reasons behind why it gets more difficult to make a bra or to make a garment in those larger sizes. But you mean like functionally, like, like literally making it can yes. be more, okay. Yeah. Like at literally, there's, um, I know I'm about to get like a little bit technical. I've gone on so many tangents today. Please, I'm all um, look. You are the expert. That's why you are here. <laughs> but there, there are what's um called size breaks in bras specifically, where the construction and the materials of the bra have to change um significantly, but not in a way hopefully that customers notice, which is the trick. Mm-hmm. Um, because if customers see the difference, they get upset because they want like, l- like fuller breasted customers or plus size customers want their garments look exactly the same as they do for smaller sizes, but there have to be significant changes in how the garment is made. Sometimes it looks like more seams mm-hmm. because seams equal support. Okay. Sometimes that looks like, 
Um, By the way, that's the thing I've understood the most this entire hour. Yes. Like, it's math. Seems equal support of, like, I get that. Yes. (laughs) Um, It's actually math and physics. Um, And uh, it might mean, like, using a heavier power mesh or, like, a reinforced lace that can better support, like, the weight of the bust. Okay. Or, like, the... um, the um like the broader back um sometimes it might look like um thicker or cushioned straps it might look like heavier underwires or more sturdy underwires mm. so there's a lot of changes that happen um when you shift from like a d to a double d cup into like the d to g range mm. there's like another size break around that gh cup kind of going from there to the jk cup range um there are also changes as you shift from 38 bands into 40 bands and then from like mid 40s into like higher 40s where the bra has to change or it basically just fails it just doesn't work okay and and so but we're offering more of these things that you just described that i'm sure that the women listening totally understand what you're talking about (laughs) me i am just like A a lot of people they like i hopefully if somebody is a good designer they're able to make those changes in a way the average customer won't notice like will i see the difference like will i see that there are like four seams now instead of three like obviously because of me but like like, i won't or like regular customer hopefully right exactly but so you think the so more more sizes what you think the industry still needs is there anything else they're like blatantly missing um it's also changes say, don't happen overnight, but right. is there anything where you're like, they're more, not even trying? More new tones from all brands. Mm-hmm. I I mean... And for... I think I mostly am saying for the men listening, a nude tone is... Oh, so it's a, like a skin tone. Yeah. Um, I knew that yeah. one. But <laughs> I think there might be some guys who don't. <laughs> so a bra that basically blends in and with your right. skin tone. This is something that darker skinned women, in particular women of color, black women, have not had enough access to. Right. Um, and we are seeing changes in the industry with regards to that. But we can always see more. It would be nice to have as many bras for my skin tone as like white women have beige bras. Yeah. Um, and I think marketing in the industry can do so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the example everybody is thinking and talking about now is Victoria's Secret, which has just... I, I do not understand why they didn't make changes. It's just so foolish. But anyway. <laughs> no, but I mean, it is. <laughs> it's just not like all those MBAs and all those experts. How did you? Okay. But <laughs> I think the way the industry can and should market to consumers is different. Um, I'm not talking about brands like Savage X, which yeah. is doing fine. Um, but kind of those, what I call legacy brands in the industry. So brands like, say, a Simone Perel. Um, a Notori, which is doing much better, um, a Hanky Panky. Like, these are all brands I love. So these Hanky Panky is a brand. Okay. Right. So these aren't brands like I'm trashing because they might listen to this. I don't, uh, like, they know I love them. I'm not trashing right. them. Um, but like, also, you know, pair it or consult because she can probably help you right. out. <laughs> um, but even brands like, you know, Made in Form, Vanity Fair, Wacol, like these kinds of companies, um, which are our largest, large companies. Chantel is another large one. Um, we should see more diverse advertising campaigns from mm. them. We should see them reaching out more directly to cus- to customers to explain like what they're doing and why it's good and why it's different. Because I do think consumers today, they want information. Like they genuinely want to know more about their clothes, but the information largely isn't there. Like I'm just one person and yeah. most people don't know about me. Um, there, If there was more information from brands and from the industry side, I think it will make a tremendous difference. Like we see this in beauty, right? Mm. The beauty industry invests so much money in educating customers, whether that's through like their site, through advertising, through influencer campaigns. There is so much invested in basically telling people 
This is why our product is worth the money. I usually spend money on it. So why is it intimate apparel, despite every time you put out like a really inclusive ad, it goes viral? Why are they, why are some just still not? The intimate apparel industry, which might surprise you, is a very conservative industry. And they are very slow to change and resistant to change. Mm -hmm. I mean, it took years before most lingerie brands thought they needed a website, before they thought they needed like a Facebook page or a Twitter or an Instagram, um, before they thought they needed to kind of care or reach out to customers at all. Like, So the way the old kind of lingerie sales model was built was you would go to trade shows um, or like boutiques would go to trade shows and some press and boutiques place their order mm. or they place an order with like an agent that comes to their boutique and then the garments come to the boutique and the boutique handles like the selling and the press and the marketing. But most boutiques are also bad at that. Like mm. a lot of them, they don't have websites. They don't reach out directly to customers. Um, and so a lot of people just don't know what they're looking at. Like they, like you told me about menagerie and I know them and I've worn them. Um, but like, I know what kind of lace they use, for example, mm. like, and that's not, and I know like what went into their pricing. Um, even like, this isn't a conversation like he's told me, but like, I can tell from like looking at the product, like right. what went into it. Um, and most people, they don't, and that's okay. Like you only know what you know, but I think if there was more time spent on telling people what they're seeing, that it would make a big difference um, because then you would know how to find other things like that, for example, right? Or like what to recommend to your friends or how to know if something's worth the money. Huh. Um, and so that would be, that that's something that I I really wish there was more investment in. Um, Is paying people like you to tell people about what's going on with their brand. <laughs> well, I think I'm a little too like <laughs> vocal products. and loud mouth because like, <laughs> brands can't like just tell me what to say and I repeat it. Like, that's not like you guys know that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess uh, one last question I have yeah. is uh, what what do you think? And I'm, I'm going to say specifically, what okay. do you think like cis men need to understand about intimate apparel? That it's not for them. This would be the biggest thing. Um, I think there's a tendency from a lot of cis men to think laundry is being worn for them or for their gaze. And that's not true. Like even before now, um, laundry should be for the wearer. Mm-hmm. Um, and to not assume, sorry, thank you. I was, my microphone was It's just what you're saying uh, is so important. I didn't <laughs> want to get uh, soft. Um, that it's not for them to i think be encouraging of their partner if they want to try it without being overbearing like i used to get emails not so much now probably because i wasn't very nice about them uh, but emails from men and be like how could i convince my wife to wear lingerie and i'm like you can't stop also let's break down the way you like constructed the question convince yeah yes. like, that's like clearly she doesn't want to so stop yeah. that's my advice to you yeah um and I, that's how i feel like it's like create a space maybe for your partner to experiment without deciding what you want to see them in mm-hmm. um like this comes up around the holidays particularly which is when we're recording this um where it comes up about like laundry gifting and a lot of cis men will be like will essentially buy their partner what they want to see their partner in mm-hmm. which is not a gift you should buy your partner what they will like best. And so it's things like that, like moving away from seeing lingerie as something that's for you to look at and think of it as a way for your partner 
to be may, maybe be more central or explore things they're interested in or to be more comfortable. Um, and I will, I would love to see that shift from Sisman. Like maybe get her a nice silk robe. Yeah. I think that's great. It's not the body. It's not the fishnet bodysuit you maybe wanted, but maybe that's what's going to make her comfy. <laughs> right. And I, I would, I would really love to see more of that. All right. Well, Cora, thank you so much for uh, for for chatting with me. Thank you Thanks. for for bringing me. I I hope I didn't. Oh go gosh, on, like, are you kidding too me? Much. I'm embarrassed okay. at how much I stumbled. I feel I was I was trying to make a note that in the intro, I was like, I need to mention how like I uh, I ran into a lot of brick walls because I'm stupid. <laughs> so thank no, thank you for being patient with me. Uh, you were fantastic, and I think people should definitely go. You know, follow you on Twitter. You're a great Twitter follow, and also check out your site. Thank you have you. a book. Um, where yeah. Can, yeah. So where can people find you? What's the book? Where can okay. they go? So name of my site is Laundry Addict. Um, you can find me at thelaundryaddict.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter at lingerie underscore addict on Instagram at the lingerie addict. Um, my email, if you want to reach me out, reach out to me. There is Cora at the lingerie addict.com. Um, and the name of my book is an intimate detail and you can find it basically at any major bookstore, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, you can there's probably some used copies floating around out there now like in your like local goodwill or oh go buy new hey hey, hey. (laughs) you said you got to go buy some bra when they put out your special 28 band i listened 28 (laughs) because i guess 26 and 30 were too comfy uh no yeah you put the 28 band thing out you got to go buy it and then you got to go buy your book full price and then um also it's on amazon and kindle like right now it's five dollars who knows it'll be five dollars when this comes out but like that's also a thing to check um because usually it's less expensive than a hardcover you're you're way too kind to the consumer right there um yeah go check her out thank you so much everybody and uh why don't you go uh say goodbye to everyone all right well thank you all for listening i hope you learned a lot <laughs> and thank you again for having me on the show I hope you enjoyed this week's jam-packed episode all right everybody uh you know make sure to go follow jesse sage Go follow David Piccolomini, and of course, go follow Cora Harrington and learn the ins and outs of intimate apparel. Her site is thelaundrieaddict.com. The best place to share what you thought about this week's episode is in the episode comment thread in our patron-only Facebook group, The Champagne Room, which you can gain access to at patreon.com slash Podcast. Other places to share what you thought are on social media. I'm on Twitter at TheBillyProceda. I'm on Instagram at BillyIsProceda. I know a lot of you think you're following me on Instagram. I promise you, you're not. Because I lost my Instagram some time ago. It's complicated. Um, if you enjoy sex-positive memes and fun updates about the pod, go like the Man Whore Podcast Facebook page. And if you want to talk to me a little bit more intimately if you want to share your thoughts with me directly you can shoot me an email at manhorpod at gmail.com i am uh i am driving like what 10 11 12 i i can't count anymore how many hours driving all the way out to denver here from columbia missouri and then uh and then i'm on to vegas next week we've got fellow uh stand-up comedian caitlin rupert uh such a delight and you know what? I'll spoil it right now. I've also got uh, cast that point with Rosa Escandone. Hashtag Rosa is hot. Hope you enjoyed Cora. And uh, I hope you all stay slutty.